The reading, the reading is taken from James chapter 4, verse 13. And you can find that on 1215 in the church Bibles. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will, what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows what, they, what good they ought to do and does not do it, it is a sin for them. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery, the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify, testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you have failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. This be the word of our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word brings life and brings light to us. Father, thank you that we are in constant need of your wisdom and your truth. Father, would you continue by your spirit to breathe your life in us and through us so that we enable us to live well for you in this world. Amen. Well, good evening. It's good to see you here this evening. Um, just to say a few words, if you keep your Bible in front of us, we'll be having a look at the passage we've got. As Nicholas said, we're looking at the book of James over the last a few evenings and the last few this term. And it's a, it's a book that asks and answers this question. If you really believe in the gospel of Jesus, if you really believe that Jesus was who he said he was, 
if you really believe in all that Jesus did for you, what would that mean for us to live our lives day by day? It's a book that's full of wisdom, absolutely chock full of wisdom. And tonight we recognize two challenges that are in the passage we had. It's pretty uncompromising passages. It may not be too light tonight, uh, but we'll look at that. So if you look at 4.13, you'll see it says, now listen you who say. And then you look at 5 chapter 1, you see the same phrase, now listen you. What you may not know is that this is an ancient Semitic rebuke that James is using to the people. Come now you was a way of using very serious language to rebuke the people for the way they were going about their lives. This is strong language. This is powerful language from James. And what James is doing is he's contrasting the wisdom of God, the wisdom of with the wisdom of the world. Contrasting with the way God calls us to, or what the Bible calls foolishness. We can choose to live in the light of God's wisdom, or we can choose to live foolishly. Remember, foolishness in the Bible is a blindness to the reality of the way the world is. And that blindness leads us to make destructive choices in our lives that are very real and very earthed. It's being so out of touch with the way the world really is that it leads us to make bad and destructive choices that ruin our lives and also ruin others. What I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to look at the passage essentially through four different lenses. First is to say, what's the problem James is getting at here? And why is it a problem? Secondly, why is it a problem? Thirdly, what makes the problem worse? And then lastly, what's the solution to the problem that James puts in front of us? So firstly, what's the problem here? Right at the beginning, we see in verse 13, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend uh, the time there, we'll make a profit. That's what James is rebuking here. On the surface of it, just looking at it, what you may think is that James is rebuking what today's world we would call strategic planning. Sorry, a bit of terminology coming in there for the world, but essentially strategic planning, because essentially what's condemned is a business plan. There's a time scale, there's a plan, there's a profit scale, there's a timeline for what they're saying. But we also know it can't be as simple as that. Because we know that a look at the whole of Scripture shows it through the book of Proverbs, but also classically in Luke 14, that actually it's called foolishness not to plan in this world. So what James is doing is getting to the heart of the problem of what it is. And it's around what their plans are. In particular, we see that in verse 16, where he says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. Their plans, their strategy, what they plan to do is their boast. It's not just a plan, it's a boast. It's what they're going to do for God. What is a boast? A boast in many ways is a thing that gives you confidence as you get up to face life in the morning. 
There's an attitude of heart that many of us are very tempted to, particularly if you come from the educated West and from a whole system of kind of the world. You said, you know, I've done my research. I've looked at everything from the right kind of direction. I've got enough information. I've got my plan. I've got my strategy. It all looks neat and it all looks tidy. I've got it all worked out. Do you know what? Things are in my control. I've got control of things. I can control my future. And this is what we could call the life control illusion. The illusion that you plan and you strategize. If you plan enough, if you strategize enough, your life will be in control and all will go well for you. You just need to plan more. You can control it. It's all in your hands. But anybody who knows who's lived will know it's a myth. What James says is this, is if you believe that, as do many Britons, as do many in our culture, who believe the fact that the future is what you make of it. Everything is about you. What James says and Scripture says is, you're a fool. You're a fool. That's not an insult. It's just a fact. The biblical fact is that you're out of touch with reality. You're out of touch with how things really work. You're out of touch with what's going on in the whole of world. And that will lead you to make really poor choices and often bad choices in your life. That's the problem at the heart of what James is talking. It's called the life control, or one way of understanding it's a life control illusion. We are in control. We can determine our future. It's all in our hands. So why is this such a problem? Secondly, why is this such a problem? James gives us two reasons why this is such a huge problem and why it's so dangerous. In verses 14 and verse 15. In verse 14, today or tomorrow, he says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. The reason why this is so destructive is it paradoxically it leads to two, it would seem, contrasting problems. The first of which is overconfidence. It's a fact, and the second of which is underconfidence and anxiety both at the same time. Overconfidence in the sense that I've thought it all through, I've strategized, I've planned well enough. Actually, I've got it sorted. It's all under control. But the second side to that is this, is the underconfidence comes. Now that I've got that plan, will I make it? Will I achieve it? You're constantly anxious about whether the plan that you have in your head and that you put out for your life or whatever our, our part of your life is, will it deliver? Will I get there? Will I get to the goal that I have set myself? It leads to a mixture of those things, overconfidence and underconfidence. And worry consumes our life because we know the way life should go. I mean, we do. And when it doesn't go our way, we're consumed by anxiety. For us as a church, I came from a diocese that um, in the last part of it, I'm for planning, haven't done too much planning since we've been here, but we'll do some. But actually just heaped more plans upon more plans upon more plans. Our faith was in our plans rather than the God who's behind those plans. So the first reason that we see is because that, in verse 14, none of us know the future. 
None of us know the future. But the second reason that it's why it's so bad, why this is such a problem, is because of verse 15. It says, instead of it, you ought to say, if the Lord wills it, we will live and do this or do that. Not only do we not know the future, but we recognize that actually our future is in God's hands, that our time is in God's hands, that our purposes are in God's hands. It's him who determines our future and our purpose. When we say that, that doesn't mean to say we become passive and stop living, but because we know the Lord's will, that enables us to, to, to make good choices in our life to actually get behind what God has called us to. One of the side issues that comes with this, why this is such a problem, is this, is particularly in the West, uh, the West of this, this world, why, and particularly in Britain uh, at this generation, essentially too, is why we struggle to deal with suffering so much. Why we struggle to deal with suffering and hardship and when things go wrong is because we live with this life control illusion the whole time we can't take bad things that come to us because it's not part of our plan do you know why and what James says James would say to us this evening because you haven't learned how to live wisely you haven't learned the wisdom of living in and for God in his will and purpose so what makes the problem worse What's intriguing about this passage that we've had read that crosses chapters is just it, James doesn't immediately go to a solution and say, you know, do this and it'll all be fine. But instead, he shows what makes it worse. What is the relationship between verses 13 to 17 and verses uh, chapter 5, 1 to 6? It looks like they're two very different subjects, but they're not. In verses 13 to 17, the illusion that you control your life leads to the kind of people depicted in chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Or put it another way. How do you know that you're somebody who's struggling with a life control illusion? It's whether you believe everything that you have and all that you possess and where you are is a gift from God or it's all about your success and your achievements. The acid test is how we see our resources, our assets that we have. How do we use what's been given to us, our money and our time? Why? Because if we really believe that all that we have is a gift of God, we won't treat our assets as fully ours. You'll be generous with them. You'll want to give them away. You'll want to bless other people with all that God has given you. However, if you believe that it's all down to you and you control the result that what you have is in chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, and you see two things at the heart of these six verses. The first is ruthless business practices. These are business owners who are underpaying their workers. They're not sharing their profits with other people. They, don't, they see their profits as entirely belonging to themselves rather than belonging to the community or to the community of workers in this place. Everything belongs to them. Ruthless business practice, but also secondly, we see self-indulgence. The word means to spend more of your money on ourselves. The worst part of it we see in verse 3 where it says, your gold and silver have created. 
and their corrosion will be evident against you and will eat your flesh like fire. What a powerful but also difficult image to hold on to this evening. Obviously, that's metaphorical, but it's talking about the fact that there's nothing wrong with having assets. There's nothing wrong with being, being wealthy in itself. But it's whether you use those assets, use that wealth for the good of others, or whether you use it to foist your own will and your own life on its own. If you feel that everything is yours, that you really you're in control, actually it says that success will come and eat away you inside, that spiritually you will start to die. And what James says and what the scripture says, that makes us a fool. You lack wisdom because life and all that we have is a gift from God. So I know this is not too light reading this evening in, in looking at this. So what's the solution? What's the solution to the problem that James puts in front of us? And James here only hints at it, and you read the whole book of James, you'll obviously see it, but particularly in chapter 4 as well. What is your life, says James? You are a mist that appears for just a time, a little time, and then vanishes. Many of us spend a lot of time thinking that we're so great, that we're constantly thinking, how do we live with kind of an eternal perspective and all those things. Yet James says, you're a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. All the things James 4 is saying we shouldn't do implies what we should do. What's the opposite of what James says? And more than that, the person who preeminently has done the things that we shouldn't do. And that person is Jesus. Who was it who lived a life without boasting or arrogance? Who is the one who himself gave, um, lived a life where he wasn't concerned for his reputation? Who is the one who said, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, for I am lowly and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Most of all, who is it who said, if the Lord wills, who is, a simple, who is a supreme example of someone who gave up control of their life, who is a like a lamb before the shearers? Remember, here's Jesus Christ, who is in absolute control, and he comes to earth. And when they charge him, he doesn't say anything, he doesn't do anything, he doesn't defend himself. When they beat him, when they nail him to a cross, and they say, if you are the Son of God, come, and, come down and take control of your life. But he doesn't do it. Why? He was there in our place. He was dying for yours and for my sins. And that's the heart of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Why did the eternal one become mortal like a puff of air that would be snuffed out. The eternal one became mortal so that we mortals could become eternal, so that we could last forever. Don't you want to boast that you will enable, a, that will enable you to face anything in spite of the fleetingness in our life? 
boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ this evening. Boast in nothing but the love of Christ this evening. Then you'll be able to face anything. Then you'll be able to handle the suffering and the hardship that comes your way. Because you'll know that you don't really know what the future holds. But because you'll know that you're not in control, that ultimately you give up your life in control to God, that he gave up control for me and for you this evening. We'll take our lives, we'll take our assets, we'll take our money, we'll take the week that's ahead of us. And we'll spend it in service of others, a service of God and of others. Why? Why will we do that? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this evening so much for the one who came and said simply, not my will, but yours be done. The one who gave up control like a lamb before shearers so that we didn't need to pretend to live lives that we're in control of. We know we can't, but we surrender our lives afresh to you this evening. We know we can trust you. We can live lives of peace. We can live lives of low anxiety, live lives of humility, not of overconfidence or underconfidence. We can live lives of wisdom because we know that your son came and died for us on the cross that we're going to celebrate in this simple meal tonight. Heavenly Father, for each one of us this evening, I pray, would you enable us to live this way, this week? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.